We have a special guest on our podcast today. I guess you could call it a special guest. He's starting to sniff around. Friend, my friend's dog's here. Yeah, that's not a human Achy. special guest. But All the right. best guest, yes. So we have an audience. We have an audience of Hutch the dog today. He doesn't even give a shit. He's like in. sniffing around. He could not care less if we were doing this or not. Yeah. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. If you like what you hear and want to help us keep going, you can support us on patreon.com slash Let's get going. We're recording at my spot today through a huge- Do you think people huge, will notice and- I think the sound's gonna be different for sure. Yeah. Acoustics are not good in here. I mean, this is a recurring theme. Eugene's football schedule disrupts lives, you know? Disrupts the lives of those <laughs> around him. It is true. Literally just before this, he was having a conversation with his wife about whether or not you would be making some type of event on the weekend. Which you couldn't respond to because yeah, it was a an unknown footy-related game. It's a friends going away thing too. Yeah. Sorry, Tara and Tyler. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No. Yep. Yep. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, that's why we're here. Yeah, because that's why we're here in usually, Taiwan. We because usually record on yes. on Wednesdays. Did you win? We drew. It was actually a super intense match. It was a derby. Like you don't. What is a derby? like when two teams with a rivalry play against one another. So it's like two teams from the same club. Derby's traditionally could <laughs> you look at it from the sense of like two people from the same city, right? Okay. Like in, in in the context of the EPL, like, oh, it's Manchester City against Manchester United. Oh, okay. Right? I got you. Or it's like Everton against you. Liverpool. I got you. So um, you drew. We drew, we scored in essentially the last kick of the game to draw two two. But it was actually it was like a Which means you it guys was like a down. war. Like it was a pretty sketchy match. In terms of like tackles flying in, like one dude on our team got kneed in the head and had to like get taken out. That's not appropriate football. I mean, call Can an accident, you knee whatever. People in the head? No, you're not supposed. It was an act. It was a quasi accident, I would say. Okay. But anyways, I have this thing All where right. on match day, I only want to leave from home to the pitch. Like I don't want to be out and about. Like that's why Shree's like, "Can you record?" I was like, "I can't record this at five thirty. My game's at eight thirty. It was like a a later game. Yeah. I was like, I can't. I can't. It's fine. I had a very flexible schedule this week. So that's a, that was a super long-winded way of explaining why the audio quality is different. Yeah. Today. And where my priorities in life lie. I mean, people already know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyways. All right. This is not a football podcast. So let's get going talking about some other stuff. Yeah. You want to go first or you want me? Let's go with you. You want me to go first? All right. I feel like our two topics are relatively unrelated this week. Oh, I'll find a way to make them work. Okay, sure. All right. My topic this week is Kathy Wood and content strategy, courtesy of The Margins. So if you haven't read The Margins, 
or you don't subscribe, I highly suggest it. It's a newsletter by Ranjan Roy and Ken Durek. And they just have a really great way of distilling relatively complex ideas or concepts into a way you understand. And this topic this week is about the ARC portfolio of ETS run by Kathy Wood. She was nominated the best stock picker of 2020 by Bloomberg News Editor-in-Chief. How do you say this word right here? Emeritus. Emeritus. Matthew A. Winkler. And a little bit of background story on Kathy Wood. She began her career as an assistant economist at Capital Group and also spent 18 years at Jenison Associates as the chief economist, analyst, portfolio manager, and managing director. For those into religion, I'm not familiar with it. ARC, as the called the brand name of the company, is named after the Ark of the Covenant and not Noah's Ark. Actually, some people do think it's named after Noah's Ark. Do you want to explain what ETFs are yeah. for folks? Before we get started, this is not investment advice <laughs> because we are- Put that at the beginning. We, we actually want to find a way to stay away from that and talk more about the creative outcomes of yeah. this from a content and media perspective. So we're just covering some terms, but this is not advice. Yeah. So what's an ETF? An ETF is an exchange-traded fund, and it's a type of investment fund and exchange-traded product. So they're traded on stock exchanges. ETFs are similar in many ways to mutual funds, except that ETFs are bought and sold throughout the day on stock exchanges, while mutual funds are bought and sold based on their price at day's end. But on top of that, one thing about ETFs are that they can include stocks, commodities, uh, a sector, and other assets. So this is my beginner stock market understanding. Oh, I was getting nervous because I'm not a financial guy, but I'll try to answer it. ETFs. No, I'm just going to try to say my understanding, yeah. which is that an ETF is a stable choice for a retail investor because it's unlikely to be like super volatile because it's a bunch of things together. Yes, so it's not tied to just any generally specific. Accurate. It's not tied to just one company's performance. Things like kind of even themselves out. Yeah. So even though one company in the ETF might do really poorly, it will be balanced out by the other things. Correct. Correct. Okay, cool. But I would say that ARC ETFs, based on their investment thesis, are definitely riskier than, say... Like the NASDAQ top 100. Yes. Got yeah, you. Yeah. So can you tell me what's so distinct about Kathy Wood and ARC? Yeah. So their investment thesis focuses a lot on innovative and disruptive industries. and for them, there are five really big ones that are on the come up. DNA sequencing, energy storage, blockchain, AI, and robotics. So within their different diverse ETFs, they reflect this investment thesis. And they actually just launched a space one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So for example, if you're going to buy the space ETF, you're investing in a basket of companies that reflect the exploration into space. Mm -hmm. And right? same for those other things. Correct. Like, like AI. AI, financial innovation, etc. In many ways, ARC has made ETFs kind of sexy. Yeah. They've found a way. I wouldn't say they found a way. They've just understood the current circumstances around media consumption, the investor landscape, the retail investor mindset, and just allowed them access to it. Yeah. And just made it like relatable in a way. And it's not that thematic ETFs don't exist. There's like cybersecurity ETFs. There's like green energy ETFs. Like all these exist. Sure. It's sure. more so that they've taken a very distinctive stance on it. And I'm not yeah. going to get into like people's- And I guess it's kind of yeah. like editorialized. Yeah. Like, like Kathy Wood and 
the company, it's not just her, right? Like it's a company of people. They've kind of made these editorial decisions. That's what, that's the word I'm going to use in their creation of this basket and how they talk about it versus like the vibe I get from ETFs before ARC or like in the mainstream narrative is that they're just kind of like a safe bundle of things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's like dry. It's like something dry. Dry and safe and you kind of set it and forget it. Yeah. And with ARC ETFs, I, I actually really think that the retail investor component, like me, you, and just the person that's going to open up their, their trading app every single day, like that person as an individual might not hold that much power, mm. but in mass, they hold a massive amount of power, right? It's just a really nice way of how they've, I, nice is a weird way of putting it, but it's more about the fact that transparency for the longest time was seen as the secret sauce for yeah. these for a lot of like investment companies. I'm just thinking about your use of the word nice. I guess something feels fair. Fair is a better word because I'm not saying I definitely think the the financial system in itself has a lot of challenges, regulatory issues, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that are it's beyond this topic. But it's just that. At the very least, when everything seems like it was going against somebody, it is an opportunity for the small guy or little guy to have the opportunity, Mm. which to your point, I think fairness is a good way of putting it. But beyond that, it doesn't mean that there's not a whole nother can of worms as we've started to adopt this mindset. Because theoretically, if I myself want to go out tomorrow and start like a stock picking YouTube channel, I could do it. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean I'm qualified to give you advice. I'm actually... I'm definitely not qualified. I can I, I don't mind doing it for myself, right? Like making an assessment on something, but it's a lot different when someone else's like money is on the line. Right. Yeah. That's the biggest, biggest thing. I think, you know, for a lot of things, it's one thing when you do it as a hobby or for out of your own interest. It's another thing when someone's expecting you to help them get paid or they're putting their own money on the line. It's interesting that you bring that up, but that's not totally related to Kathy Wood, because Kathy Wood is an expert. Like she's an expert's yes. expert. Expert. Like yeah. you've said of her CV already. I, I was just so more it's okay speaking, to follow yeah. like her. I don't know. Is it okay the right word? Like it makes more sense to follow her advice it's rather than plausible. your YouTube stock picking channel. Exactly. The hypothetical exactly. YouTube stock picking channel. So, it is weird that you could still make one. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, there there are things that I can and cannot say. Right. I think that there's yeah. there's regulatory things you can and cannot say. But back to this piece, Ranjan speaks about the change in content in the world of investments and investing. Normally, when we think of financial content marketing, we think corporate blogs, quarterly investor letters, media appearances. Things have progressed a bit as you now have Ray Dalio LinkedIn's and Clifford Ness tweets, but traditionally investors have been a bit reticent to open up their books. Their investment theses and decisions were their competitive advantage. And there's a bunch of compliance reasons they'd need to be careful about what they say. So that, that's another thing to the compliance side. So Ranjan also goes on to say that basically open source data sets, which ARC provides, is content marketing. My ability to share with you what I've been doing, my trades, what what I'm thinking about already is a form of content marketing. Yeah, that's interesting. And it it does make you think that this is a content eats everything world. Like everything is content. It is weirdly analogous to creative work in a way that I would not expect it to be. It's like how you would offer all of your sketchbooks and here's like my mood boards and inspirations and things like that. Like the process is not hidden in any way. Yeah, totally. And that this is the interest 
in this topic is primarily around the content part because nowadays everything needs to come back to content because content as marketing seems to be the most organic, cheapest way of generating visibility. Look at all the different pillars of culture and or just anything in terms of creation that needs to somehow track back to content. Mm -hmm. So when you design a coffee shop now, when you design a retail store, you also have to be very cognizant of how do I contentify this and allow people to come in and actually do more than just like interact in the main purpose of say shopping or mm. getting a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like something that's quite interesting. And it's in many ways, any business around ideas has tons of content opportunities, which is what this is, right? You know, they, they have like the, I think the way that they've chosen to explain themselves provides a really interesting catalyst for so many different opportunities. Yeah. So, uh, so for example, like they release a yearly big ideas report. So this will be their take on the next year's big ideas. So mm. for example, you know, in the beginning, we talked about those five things, robotics, AI, yeah. et cetera. Maybe next year's big idea will be, I don't know, the the development of biomaterials. Mm. And soon they'll start a biomaterials ETF that tracks all companies that invest in things that are going to do this or that, right? So I think that's like a, a way of putting it. And for me personally, like I was, I'm, I've been kind of flip-flopping back and forth and this is like something more of a, an opinion, but our ETFs do really well or have done really well in the last few years on the basis that they invest in high growth companies mm. but then at the same time like high growth in the context of an etf is theoretically like contradictory in terms of etfs being a safer play so like the max drawdown right. being like you know most recently when all the treasury bills and all that stuff was kind of being being auctioned off and there was having a big impact on the market you were seeing like really big drawdowns and liquidity issues whatever like these are all things that if you're interested in, you should probably do a search on like if you are like for whatever reason interested in learning more about art, there's definitely lo look into what is the downside of the type of companies they invest in because they're smaller companies that have a lot of trajectory and growth. But then with that comes uncertainty. So like you investing in an ETF that has Apple is going to be different than one that has like a company that just discovered its first breakthrough in yeah. a drug. Yeah. Right? I weirdly I don't know why my mind goes here, but while you were saying that about ARC changing a little bit of the nature of what ETFs are, it made me think of movie studios and how different studios you can expect a certain type of film from them. Yeah. And like some are maybe, you know, Disney will or mostly Or A24 make, or something. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like A24 makes these kind of indie niche movies that you might be critically well received but usually don't get huge box office numbers yes disney makes these really family friendly rated e for everyone type of animated films that you could take like a three-year-old to and also your grandma to and then who does the marvel films now? oh wait but it's also disney it doesn't work because disney has so many different yeah. things under it but you get my point yeah that's kind of what i was thinking because it's still like they're all film studios in the sense that like an etf as a format is still an etf like yeah. your expectation is different yeah that's actually a really great way of putting it you know and i you know to kind of discuss the part about transparency this is another quote from the piece while other firms go out of their way to hide their investments arc is an open book 
This is also uniquely tailored to our current market environment. It's effectively pushing a press release to the entire world every day. The financial media eats it up while it dominates social media. They remain in the conversation every single day. That simple push of numerical information catalyzes an army of investors, all looking for guidance, affirmation, and just something to think about, to think about your stocks. Every day you manage to live, as the saying goes, rent-free in all of our heads. That's pretty funny. And the last bit is, it's become pretty clear in the past decade there's a correlation between power and the space you occupy in our collective consciousness. This is even more applicable in financial markets than, say, politics, as this kind of feedback loop can result more directly in a desirable outcome. Kathy Wood's sole job is to get others to buy the stock she owns, and with one email push, it's magically done. I actually think that makes so much sense. It's such a good understanding of the climate we're in and what people want, which is like this says to have something to talk about, to think about their investments. And it is so different from the attitude maybe 10 years ago where it was like, okay, you just trust us with your money and we're going to do it and you don't think about it. Yeah. And actually, it doesn't even matter what the press release indicates. Like the press release could indicate no change, but the fact that it exists, like that they put it out is talking points versus having nothing to discuss at all. I mean, for me, the bigger, bigger thing around this is actually the cult of the celebrity. Okay. Because... Like you think Kathy Wood as a celebrity in this case. Kathy Wood is the only person running an ETF that I could directly pinpoint, know what she looks like. Yeah, and a first name, name, last name. Yeah. Who else in the current space has a CEO as noticeable or... or People have as much awareness of you know who this is. Think mm-hmm. about it in the, just the world of stocks that someone has a public who has a publicly traded company who else has the same level of aura around. Oh, them? you're asking me. I'm asking you. Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, it's yeah. It's like it's. So I wasn't. I was thinking about Kathy Wood. Yeah, I blinked out for a but second. But you recognize that in many ways, like the cult of the celebrity is actually far more important than maybe the quality of the idea. Yeah, I mean, right? it's easier to glom onto. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's just how humans are. Yeah, it's much yeah, easier yeah, to totally. relate to another human. People like yeah. celebrity. We talk about that a lot. Yeah, but by virtue of Kathy Wood being someone that is a, like a financial celebrity, that effectively continues the flywheel, I think. Yeah. So you see this a lot. It's like people, like let's say in, in five or 10 years, like Kathy Wood's performance, you know, drops down to a more standard outcome, right? Sure. It doesn't mean she disappears. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, there, there's something there. There's a flywheel being built up right now every time you hear and see her name, right? So I think that's actually a really important part because for better or worse, maybe ARC as a product in the early stages was successful because it identified a hole in the market of ETFs driven by innovation. And having that strong theme that editorialized. Yeah, So, ne- but now it's moved over where they've actually been able to leverage multiple things. In- interesting investment thesis. Great content marketing, yeah. Celebrity. I mean, obviously, the we've talked about this before about how money is very motivating. So it did have to have performance initially to hook people in, like, oh, there's money to be made here. But what's lasting, as you just said, is yeah. Sorry, I I don't want to make it sound like Kathy Wood alone is why Arc is successful. So much is that I mean, it's and it's also a whole team of people. It feels like it's a great passing of the baton. Yeah, in a way where. I mean, I think it's a canny understanding, again, of like what people look for. We talked about this last week about the Hermes Birkenbag, about understanding what story does to pricing. 
And it's not like Kathy Wood, the person, is within like those ETFs, like as a saleable stock, but it does increase the attractiveness overall yeah. of those ETFs, yeah. like that individual story. I think that what you see now is like this really strong feedback loop being created mm. where, as, as they mentioned before, if Kathy Wood tomorrow suddenly adds a new company you've never heard of to one of her ETFs, suddenly you're thinking, oh, maybe I should track this. Yeah. And that is, interestingly enough, like a potential benefit for multiple parties. Like there's actually quite a large dissemination of value through that. Through mm-hmm. the content being created, because I think that's one of the hardest things is just like most people don't necessarily have a understanding of how to create content and create it regularly with scale. And this is something that, you know, if you somehow find your way into an ARC ETF, then it's kind of half done for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like this crossover between an area I wouldn't have thought you could apply all of those thoughts regarding like content strategy and marketing and individual personality. And here we are. Yeah. It's also just very interesting because in the world of finance, so the way ARC makes money is they, there's a percentage they collect as a management fee, right? So it's just interesting because in the world of finance, the money at play is just so much larger. Mm. So it's easier for you to generate a large marketing call it a content marketing budget because there's so much more money at play which is a little bit different like you know if you're a bakery a mom and pop bakery yeah. it's just always harder because like there's a very definitive cap or ceiling on how good i say good because in some ways yes the amount of money you invest is going to be correlational to the quality of content yeah in the long term but i don't see anyone else doing this I mean, I think they're just, they're innovative. They understand. Yeah. Right. So I guess in closing for me, sometimes if you strip away the industry, everything's pretty much the same when it comes to marketing. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. That's the unfortunate, fortunate reality, which is why marketing actually is a pretty useful skill because it allows you to just transcend different industries. Like your ability to, to, Market sneakers doesn't mean you necessarily can't market a financial product if you understand the nuance behind it. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Should we move on? Sure, let's do it. So my subject this week is from The Conversation and the author is also the man himself, A.D. Carson. It's about his experience creating the world's first peer-reviewed rap album. So A.D. Carson is a professor of hip-hop at the University of Virginia and is a rap artist. Generally, when we make creative work, when other people who do creative work make creative work, we already tend to send things around to each other and ask, what do you think of this? And you try to get uh, feedback and suggestions in an informal way from each other. Well. What peer reviewing is, is that in academia, in order to be considered a serious scholar, you usually have to get your work, which is typically writing and research-based, published in a peer-reviewed journal, which is a journal in which works are evaluated by others in a given field to ensure relevance and quality. It's interesting, actually, even before we get further into this, because 
peer review as a process within academia has been has been questioned in terms of whether it's a fair process. Because usually peer review means that your work, there's some part of this that is blind, okay? Yes. So there's either the reviewers are anonymous to the author or the reviewers and the author are anonymous to each other or even reviewers um, and the author are anonymous to each other as well as the editor. Anyway, there's a whole boondoggle of stuff there but the questioning of whether it is productive has to do with whether it's about trust really about whether you trust your peers yes because okay hypothetically in science yeah like let's say i did some like really groundbreaking research and i want to get it published in a science journal so then i submit it and it's reviewed by my peers some of which might be doing similar research there is a possibility that they will review my work poorly because they are doing similar in competition. And they would research. prefer that your work doesn't get published so that theirs gets Does. published. So as possible, I'm not saying this is not necessarily relevant. Yeah. It's more about explaining why things yeah. in this space um, are a little bit yeah, kind convoluted. Of ex- explaining what peer review is and does, but it's like hundreds of years. I mean, not for hip hop, which is the interesting part of this, but when it comes to like science and medicine, peer review as a process has been used for a very long time. But I do think Carson's experiment is interesting. So A.D. Carson, he wanted, he had a question, like, could I get my rap album published by an academic press? And could I get it done through peer review? And I think the important thing about this is his belief that academia doesn't have to just look one way Mm -hmm. and that the projects that are like verified by academia shouldn't just be limited to research papers with footnotes that are one format which i think is very interesting yeah i want to ask you this like in terms of the process in which this all plays out what value or what can just a regular creator glean from off of this if they applied some of this more rigorous stress testing to their own work and maybe made it more formalized and i mean formalized in a way where it wasn't just like me hey like can you check out this and let me know if you have any yeah insight because i actually don't know the process like if i receive something to peer review there must be like a checklist or like everyone has their own sort of approach to it but just knowing that this is what I expect people to do, because I think there is something interesting around that. Because I know this is this is like up for debate, right? For me personally, how much of the creative work that we put out there should be done on the basis of having maximum impact versus just impact for the creator? Because mm. I guess it depends. Because if I'm creating something that's going to take a lot of resources, like beyond time, but like let's say environmental resources, money. Should I be trying my best to get it reviewed in a way that it has the greatest chance of success? Or should I just like default? Like, obviously, if I take a photo of my iPhone, I share it on Instagram, very low barrier cost of electricity in my time. There's not really an answer there, but it's more about there is an interesting question, which is thinking about publication versus process. And that is not a totally original idea because I even before I picked this subject, I had happened to read an article today, which I think is very relevant. And it's from the Creative Independent. 
and it's an interview with an author, Matthew Celesis, who recently published a book called Craft in the Real World, Rethinking Fiction Writing and Workshopping. The main part of this that is relevant to this conversation is he says, I wonder if publishable makes it seem like you need external validation in order for something to be valuable. I think it's a symptom of talking about work that we're doing as a product rather than as a process. Yeah. I think if you're talking more about process, the publication part of it is less a way of evaluating a work since you're talking about what decisions you're making rather than what's going to happen to the work afterward. I do think publication is a good thing to talk about students with just because it's part of the reality of their lives. So yeah. I think that's really helpful because when we you, talking about impact to the creator versus the impact they could have in the world, I think the biggest impact to the creator is in the process part. Yes, on an individual. On an individual mm -hmm. level to have some type of more formalized workshopping, feedback, review process in that stage is going to make a big difference to you as an individual creator versus a kind of review part for publication. Yeah. And that's about external impact. Yeah. So you're saying the publication part is the part that is more important towards the external parties. Yeah. 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 But I think it's the in the process of making your work, getting feedback and having review of it in some way is going to be more significant to the individual. But, but then the, this academic peer review process, to my understanding, is very publication focused. It's very much about like, can it pass certain criteria mm -hmm. that an academic press has in place, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it is about external impact rather yep. than about your individual creator's process. Yeah. What is really valuable, I think, about that peer review process is like Carson says this too for his album. He couldn't just like, hey, listen to this album. Tell me what you think. Okay. Like it's more in depth than that. So he supplied liner notes. He created a documentary about making the album and also supplementary written material and how the music relates to academic conversations, events in society, and his own life. So there is, I can't think of a better word than academic, but just beyond the songs themselves, he's applied a lot of rigor into talking about what, what, what was my thinking in creating this song, yeah. and what is it about, and how is that relevant to the world. Yeah. Actually, th this is a great topic to talk about because Carson has made his album free and open source. So we can play some of it. Okay, let's play it right now. It goes. If I die in police custody, please ask questions because though I sometimes speak out of turn and ask why more often than some folks care to entertain, I don't see me leaving an exchange with an officer so depressed and disconcerted that it would make me take me away from you. If you're told I resisted, please ask for evidence because you and I know, I know they're armed with everything from pepper spray to tasers. And taking that into consideration, anything that would make me move suddenly or do anything to escalate their use of force to my own final destination in that moment is less likely than what you'll find to be true. I wish I could give a, a more analytical take on the music because I never feel comfortable analyzing music. But one thing that I did want to talk about was we talked a lot about how the process is individually rewarding to the creator, mm. right? And oftentimes, like this is 
not as apparent towards the outside world. However, if the goal is about creating something that can stand up to publication, to external analysis or whatnot, is there a way you can flip it where by virtue of understanding the process, you you de-risk the outcome? Because most times people just look at the outcome and they don't really understand the thought that went into it. Sure. But if you actually push people down the process and they understand that, oh, I understand why he did that. Like, does it change how we interact with it? And I think that might be a, a way because for better or worse, yes, the final outcome is a product. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, no one wants to put out something that's not well received. However, I think through sharing the process, you actually change how people interact with the final product. You know, it's funny because I said the two topics were unrelated, but and this I, does relate to exactly. Kathy Wood and Arc because yeah. it's about content strategy and marketing, essentially, is the process, process part of yeah. the story. Like him sharing his process on and thought process is no different than yeah. Kathy Wood and Arc sharing their investment thesis. And it's true that something that came out of this peer review process he did with the University of Michigan is that there he is releasing the documentary with the album, like the behind the scenes making of documentary, which he had initially made specifically for that peer review process, yeah. as opposed to like an external audience. It's it's interesting what we can expect from audiences, you know? This as a rap album, people will receive differently than whether they're making a decision to invest in Kathy Wood's ETFs, mm-hmm. which just because of the nature of what it is, you would probably want to study the the ETFs, I mean, versus the hip hop album. I'm not sure if you can have an expectation that people will study to the same degree. I I, I would, I would disagree to that because I think that there is emotional resonance with the content, which then informs the next decision. So I think that while maybe there are a few more steps to arrive at something, if you resonate with, his liner notes and his documentary. There's only the next step of purchasing the music. In- oh, I mean, I mean more like people will purchase the music and enjoy it, but might not actually do the additional reading. Correct, but I think it's more so. There's just like one. There's a few extra steps, but I think that they're both a binary outcome where it's like I didn't resonate with the the content, and I'm going to close the tab and I'm going to move away from this. Right. So what I'm saying That's is that they're, they're actually both going the same direction. It's either I'm closing the door, I'm moving away from this, or I'm like, oh, I'm sufficiently interested to stay in the conversation and maybe I'll listen to the second or third track and then I'll buy it. Or I will look more into this and understand like, oh, what's their track record as an ETF or whatnot. Maybe it's kind of like increasing surface area. Let me try to explain that. A song is just this three minute piece of content. But when you also add a documentary and you have liner notes and supplementary material, then you have hours of content versus that original three minutes. And so it's possible that someone is going to be interested in one part of all of that, even if not the original thing that you thought of as the product. Yeah. I mean, that's. Exactly the same that we talked about in the previous topic where sending that newsletter out every few days is no different than him, you know, posting a clip every two days of from the from the documentary on social media. There is something more that he wrote about in the conversation that I haven't mentioned yet, which is that Carson 
kind of has this higher mission with getting the album peer reviewed. And it's related to him being a professor of hip hop as Mm. well, you know, being part of this, what he sees as the possibility of elevating hip hop and the study of hip hop to be more than just something that's other, like something that's more than just entertaining or like an afterthought, but actually treated in the same way as other academic subjects. And he wants to challenge people to think of hip hop, not just as a format, but something that people can learn from in the same way that you can like, you know, there's art history, right? You look at a painting and you can learn something by looking at the painting. He says hip hop should be thought of in the same regard. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really have a POV on that. Just thought I would add that additional context on Carson's goal. I guess he went about this project, not just as like a thought experiment, but because he sees it as a way to validate, if that's a good word for it, like to validate hip hop in the eyes of academia. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I entered this conversation under the pretense of like, how can I understand the peer review process so a creator can borrow and steal that and apply it to their work? But actually, I think the thing that I came away more so from this conversation is about the valuation of product and process for different people and what value can be generated through intertwining. Mm. I think for me, it's like, weirdly enough, the steps that AD went through to generate what he thought was a uh, something worth reviewing was essentially a content strategy plan. <gasps> if you think about it, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, because it was to increase understanding of his project. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really think that there is a lot to take from the academic peer review process on an individual creator level. I would say that you know how I mentioned at the beginning, what usually when we try to get feedback, we just like WhatsApp someone. Yeah. And you'll like send a PDF or a website link or something. As general protocol, I don't even need to know about the peer review process to say this. It is much more helpful if you are specific about what questions you have mm-hmm. about the work or like what challenges yes. you're facing yeah, yeah. rather than just sending what someone. Do you think? Yeah. Because not everyone has their own analytical framework versus for me, if you sent me something, I would immediately have not necessarily something written down, but I would know what I would go through and be like, well, who is this for? What are you trying to say? Why are you saying it? Because yeah. I had a similar exercise recently where someone was like, can you review this? And let me know what you think of this idea or the makings of a brand. And I, I, I defaulted to what I already know, right? And that is going to be different from other people who might have a high taste level, but they're not necessarily thinking in marketing terms. Yeah. Yeah. I did also recently review a project yeah. of someone else's. And so I thought of that too. There is something to learn here from the idea of you might be tempted to send something that's very finalized, but it you could get better feedback by saying, okay, these are my notes when I was making this. This is the sketch process. Like, look at these two things first and then look at this like finalized PDF mm-hmm. and here are my questions. Yeah. That would be sim- somewhat similar to the peer yeah. review process. I think it's a good place to cap things off. Yep. That's a good place to wrap up for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about making, reading, and listening to some of our stories focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can visit us at makin.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com.
You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us by patreon.com slash Macon. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com or Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.